Yeah, that, that, uh, appreciate that, ladies. That uh, really ministered to my heart. I appreciate it. We've done a lot of heart searching here lately. It was uh, in our plans to be back in Ukraine by now. And um, we, uh, we worry about our people. I guess they found a. Uh, they found the plans. They were able to uh, take out a convoy or a, a column. I guess is what it's called. A column of um, of Russians, and they uh, they found their plans. And of course, I've always known that the target was the Donbas. He needs the Crimea. He needs lands access to the Crimea. That's pretty obvious from any kind of a strategic military uh, point of view. But Odessa would be a, I don't think it's possible. It'll just be really, really bad if they do. I've said it for years, and I've kind of every, for the past seven years, I go out in the morning and I'd look, I'd look over towards Moldova because there's Transnistria or, or uh, Prednistrovia, is right 20 miles as the crow flies from my house. And it's just flat out there. So I figured if I ever saw smoke, go up in Prednistrovia, we might need to flee. Or if, if, um, if the battle ever came to, now you guys know the town, Mariupol. I've been watching Mariupol for eight, nine years now. I figured if it ever got there, well, we might need to start being concerned. And so we've been living with this now for quite a number of years and knowing that it's going to come. And uh, it's just kind of funny that one of our professors, whenever we... Um, my first year, I think it was 1994, 19, it was 1994 that we had a lecture, and uh, he was a real geeky guy. He was just, his name was Volodi, I believe, uh, and he was, he was, he was just a dweeb. <laughs> he was a smart dweeb, but he was a dweeb, and he and I kind of would, you know, clash. Anytime he said anything about the Word of God, the typical communist stuff, I mean, I just, I just tangled with our professors all the time and challenge them and embarrass them sometimes. And he turned red, I remember once, because he embarrassed himself. He was criticizing the Bible, and I said, have you ever, you know, you're going to prove a mistake in the Bible. Have you ever read it? <laughs> and then he said, yes. And I said, from cover to cover. And he said, uh, well, you know, yes. And then he blushed. And I was like, no, you're lying. You're lying like a rug. <laughs> and then so I just put it, you know, show me one. And of course he couldn't, and then that was, you know. But anyway, he was smart when it comes to history, and he said there's never been 100 years of peace in Ukraine. And he also said uh, our next war is going to be with Russia. He said that in 1994. And then he went through the Crimea, the gas lines, the nationalism, the history, the, you know, the Holocaust, the, the, the famines. He went through all of that, and uh, so he was right. But anyway, it's, uh, we've done a lot of heart searching. I do appreciate the, the song. It really uh, was like a balm because, you know, we're, we're watching our people go through stuff. They're still standing. And every Sunday morning, they send me a picture of, of the church. And there they sit amidst the sirens, amidst everything else. 
and they're praying. They always wake me up. I said, man, you guys need to pray quieter. You're waking me up every Saturday. You know, they, it's, they're seven hours ahead of us, and so I'm always getting up like four o'clock in the morning, Sunday morning, and I'm like, I need my sleep, so you guys need to just kind of keep it down when you're praying for us. And we laugh about it. We joke about it. Pastor um, uh, Alosha, Alexei, he's my right-hand man over there running things. And uh, his wife just had a baby the day before yesterday. So um, in the midst of everything that's going on, she, uh, praise the Lord, had a healthy baby. And they're winning souls. They're meeting. They're praying, witnessing, amen, helping people. We're sending them money. As it comes in, we send it over to them, and they distribute it. And they just tell them this is from, uh, these is from American churches. These are from American Baptist Christians, amen. And they wanted to say that we, they love you and that they're praying for you. Amen. amen. And uh, I hope that that means something because of all the anti-American propaganda that's over there from Russia. Um, being that this is we're tomorrow going to celebrate our Independence Day, I remember I just wanted to say a couple of things. Well, I ministered to a guy, didn't lead him to Christ, but uh, I pastored him for a number of years. His name was Mikhail and his wife, and they, uh, they would get up and give a special every once in a while. They were really, really old people that lived through World War II. And they, they had remembered an old Ira Sankey song called uh, Sad, Weary, Lone, Dreary or something like that. It really fits over there. <laughs> but it was an old Ira Sankey song, and they'd get up and sing that in, in harmony, and it was always really, really sweet. They had a sweet spirit about them. And he, he, was, um, he was one of those soldiers that was um, captured during World War II. And he said that he was in the concentration camp, in the prison camp, and he was there when the Americans came through and liberated them. And he said, um, he said, you know what? Americans were different. He said, whenever the, the tables were turned, and now all the Russian prisoners were on the top, and the Germans now, everything had just switched overnight, you know. Uh, he said that those Russian soldiers were brutal in how they would torture and mutilate uh, these, um, these Germans. And he said, you know what? He said, and his word was destoyny. Um, he says they were more, um, more respectable. Um, excuse me, what was it? Honorable. honorable, yeah. He said the American soldiers were more honorable. And um, yeah, they were more honorable and that they, they wouldn't take part in torturing their, their captives. They would um, just treat them as the, the agreements stated and they wouldn't take part in it. And I remember also being in a, in a marketplace in, in Bulgaria and two British men walked up to me when they found out we were preaching on the street and they came up to me and they said, we just wonder, are you American? You know, yeah, I'm American. And he says, uh, I just want to thank you. And I said, why? You don't know me. I don't know you. He said, um, I've never met an American in my life. But he said, I just, you're an American and I want to thank you for what you and your people did for us in World War II. And so um, that meant a lot to me. You know, that was a real blessing. And so I just wanted to say thank you for everybody who served. There are people who have not forgotten. There are people who do understand the sacrifices that were made. And I sure do appreciate it because there is nothing like the missionary enterprise in the world today. This is something that's big. You know, I don't think the world has ever seen anything on the scale that it is right now. Taking the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. 
Amen. And it really, you know, I like what one preacher kind of summed it up. God gave, you know, God gave uh, Israel to the Jew and he gave uh, America to the church <laughs> for this age. I think that, that kind of fits at least practically pretty well. Well, if you would open your Bible, please, to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, and I um, called Pastor Mike and Pastor Elliot and just told him that, you know, our plans were to be back in Ukraine by now, and now I have to fill up my schedule with, um, with meetings with the churches that I have not yet visited. We were just going to go back and labor for another couple of years and then come back and visit those churches, but, uh, but we're here for now. It's not safe to go back. I mean, everybody's getting shelled, but there are areas that are truly threatened by Russian occupation. There's a difference. I mean, those missiles can reach anywhere, and they're kind of indiscriminate, I think. I don't know. They might, there, might be a rhyme or, there might be a reason why they're hitting certain targets, and it might be retaliation to these um, oligarchs that are supporting the, the West. It might be you know, the reason why they're hitting certain like resorts uh, is because uh, how we've put sanctions on their, on their money. They're hitting Ukraine's um, leadership's money as well. But it's a different thing whenever Russian troops go down your street and go door to door. Okay, that's an occupation, and I've already seen the videos of what happened in, in Georgia, and I don't need to be there with my wife and family. I heard, I saw the videos that were kind of smuggled out. I mean, the blood splattering up on the camera and the screams and the, what happens to women. Uh, we don't need to be there as Americans, okay? And so right now, just pray for us because we have meetings. I have scheduled meetings up to a certain point, and then whenever we're done with that, I, I need, I, you know, there's nothing here for me to do. So we're going to stay until that's done, and after that's done, if, the, if this hasn't been resolved and if it's not safe to go back, and our people are saying, don't come back right now. It's just not safe. Uh, they, uh, if that happens, then we'll probably go to one of the bordering countries and we'll just have to set up start a new ground zero and just minister to Russians speaking. Amen? Russians need the gospel too. Amen? I speak Russian. I don't speak Ukrainian. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, please pray about that with us. I got something for you from the Word of God this morning, and I hope it'll be a blessing to you. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 7, it says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for, Lord, just the, the blessings we've already received. Lord, just um, any time your spirit just manifests itself in a building with your people, God, it just you make everything okay. No matter what's going on, the storms, that are going on in our lives, politically, economically, financially, Lord, uh, in our homes. Um, Lord, you just, you walk in and you just say, peace, be still. And I certainly appreciate you, Lord, being so good, so kind, to condescend to men of low estate like us and meet with us in a way that you do. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray that you'll help me preach it. pray it'll be a blessing and we edify your people. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Peter chapter 1, our text here talks about the trial of your faith. And I'd like to talk about that this morning. 
It's, uh, it's a very simple message. It's a very um, kind of an obvious message, maybe. But I hope you'll follow the line of thought. We're going to go somewhere. It's kind of teaching, and it deals a little bit um, with your relationship with the Bible, your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes all it takes is just a little tweaking of our attitude, and everything changes. Have you noticed that? Sometimes, I mean, it's like, you know, the, the boss isn't right, my job isn't right, the house isn't right, the car's obviously not right, <laughs> especially if it's a Ford, <laughs> and you're on your way to church. But anyway, uh, when just nothing's right. The pet's not right, the wife's not right, the husband's not right, right? It's just not right. And then all of a sudden, just a little verse of Scripture, and the Holy Spirit of God takes a verse, just changes a little bit of an attitude, and everything changes. Amen? Amen? And, and the Christian life is like that. And it's, well, I want to give you a couple of verses this morning. I hope you follow the line of thought. I hope that it will uh, move and that we won't be too long here this morning. But I'd like to talk about the, uh, the trial of your faith. And I'm not trying to talk about uh, the faith as in the Christian faith. I'm not talking about faith as in something abstract, something that's not tangible. It's just it's spoken about a lot in the Word of God, and it's about your faith. And uh, pretty much how much faith you've got, or the lack thereof. And so the thing about faith is that you will never know what kind of faith you have until it's tried and tested. Abraham, was he's called the father of faith. He's a, a great man of faith. That faith, he had it inside of him. I mean, you know, he, you know, God said, hey, I'm going to give you that many kids as the stars of the, of the, in heaven and the sand of the sea and the dust of the earth, you know, all that thing, you know, all that, what all that means doctrinally, right? The three seeds and all that kind of stuff. But that faith, though it was in there and though he made a, a mental agreement, yeah, I believe that. How would you know how much faith he had until it was tried whenever God said, you know, God told him on the Word of God said one thing over here and said, In Isaac shall thy seed be called. And then the Word of God said something over here, which seemed to be a contradiction, you know, go offer up Isaac. Yeah. Right? And so these aren't theological contradictions. These are contradictions that are kind of like personal, where we live. Yeah. Right? Amen. And so, you know, he, he came to that point where, okay, well, the Bible seems to contradict itself in his life, you know, so to speak. And uh, instead of him just chucking it and saying, well, God said one thing here and God said the other thing here, I don't understand it. Nobody can make sense of it. And so he just throws it out the window and goes on with his life, as most Christians do. You know, his faith was tried. And whenever you come to a point where it looks like a contradiction, he said, well, God said this over here. He gave me that many kids. He said it's through Isaac. And God said, you know, offer him up. And so he said, you know what? God is able to raise him up. Even if I'll obey, it doesn't make any sense. It looks outright, you know, abs uh, absurd. It looks crazy. Amen. You know, one thing about propaganda and its effectiveness, when we went over to Ukraine, uh, I remember one time, I just, I didn't know what to think. There's this lady sitting by the side of the road, and my wife and I, and she was perpetually pregnant. You think we're Mormons or something, but anyway, she's... She was pregnant at the time, and we had Joshua. She was pregnant with Miriam. And this, this nice, you see those little grandmas, you know, with those head coverings on, with a little snaggle tooth, you know, or something. And she's just sitting there, and she was selling her cucumbers. And she was, oh, she's doing her little, you know, babushka thing, 
talking about the kids, and, oh, you know, you're, you're so blessed. You're going to have more than one child, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then I was just, and she's like, oh, oh, here, take, take a couple of my, my cucumbers from my garden, you know. And then, and then, and then you, you go, uh, oh, thank you. And we're like, wow, we're really getting somewhere with these people, amen. They love us. And then I pulled out a tract and gave it to her. I said, well, well what is this? What is this? I said, it's a, it's a Christian tract. It'll tell you about Jesus Christ and how to go to heaven. I mean, her countenance just, she looked like a shriveled up prune. And she just, Americansi, foo, foo. She threw that thing down, spit at our feet. I mean, just flipped the switch and the devil came right out, you know. We got that a lot, by the way, from Russians. That's what they think of us. It's, you know, we're not heroes over there. We are the off-scouring of the earth in a lot of places, okay? And when you're dealing with Russian propaganda, and the funny thing about propaganda is, is that no matter where you went in the former Soviet Union, whenever you said the name Baptist, buddy, you'd see their eyes. Because I even considered not calling myself a Baptist because I understood what they thought about Baptists. And I remember talking to, um, I'm going to, Go away from the message. This is just a funny story. Um, Brother DeMichael, Rick DeMichael, showed up on my doorstep. I didn't know him, and he didn't know me. And we were going through one of the, my first kind of a Baptist fist fight that started occurring, and the brethren were, and I was kind of caught in the middle of some stuff, evolving around PBI, right? And I didn't appreciate it. I'm just, I, you may not believe this, but I followed the Holy Spirit of God down to Pensacola. Now, you may not think that the Holy Spirit would lead somebody to Pensacola, but you've got the mouth of two or three witnesses. God evidently does do that, okay? In spite of your theology and whatever else. Anyway, but we were caught in the middle of that. And Brother DeMichael comes in, and uh, we were getting some supper ready for a meeting we were going to have. And he comes in, and he says, so I hear you went to PBI. And I was like, sure did. And what of it? You want to fight too? You know? He's like, I did too. I was like, praise the Lord. This is great. You know, you had to come out and, 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 and see the ministry. We were just getting started, you know. It was just like, bam, and we immediately had like 80 people, then 100, quickly. They were coming out to get the Bibles and stuff. I said, you got to come out here. So we were on the train, and we were talking, and I said, yeah, I'm thinking about not calling myself a Baptist. And, and he goes, what, brother? I didn't know what to think about this guy. I mean, he just kind of like flipping the switch. He's like, you know what I'd be if I wasn't a Baptist? I'm like, he said, I'd be ashamed. And he's like, I believe in MacArthur, brother. And he's going off. And people around us are just, are just laughing because they don't understand what this, guy, this crazy American's saying. And I don't know how to take this because I don't know him and his sense of humor and stuff like that. But he was like, and, and then right about that time, those electric trains would hit these fuses every once in a while, and it'd, it'd have a loud just bam, and then it just went pitch black. So he's in the, right in the middle of his, you know what I'd be if I wasn't a Baptist brother, you know, blah, 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 and bam, and it went, and he goes, God is mad. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. But the reason why was because the propaganda in Russia taught that Baptists sacrifice their kids to God. They believe that. You say, they say, 
Uh, this is a Christian brochure. What faith are you? And then what kind of, what sect are you? They would say, are you Orthodox? No. What sect are you? I'm Baptist. And then they would kind of take a step back. And then after we had three or four or five kids, now six kids and then seven kids, I'm like, look, <laughs> I've wanted to sacrifice a couple of them, but they're all still living, okay? But anyway, Abraham, he, his faith was tried. His faith was tried, and you would have never known what kind of faith he had and the internal struggles that he had to follow God, believe God, obey God, until his faith was tried. And your faith is going to be tried as well. You've not arrived. I don't care how many years you have been a Christian, you've not arrived, my friend. There's always room to grow. So I want to talk about the, the trial of your faith. Hebrews chapter 11, keep your, uh, your place here in 1 Peter, and we're going to skip around a little bit. Just look at a couple of verses. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. It's a great verse, but without faith it is impossible to please Him. So the object of the trial, the object is your faith. And you have to understand that faith is absolutely necessary in the Christian life. Amen. You have to believe God and believe His book. Without faith, it is impossible. You can't please Him. He's not pleased with you if you don't believe Him, if you don't trust Him, you don't rely on Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, okay, that's where you start, in the existence of God, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Do you believe that? Amen. You believe that? Are you diligently seeking Him? What are you doing to diligently seek Him? Making any changes? If you believed it, you would. If you don't believe it, then you won't. So the necessity uh, it's, uh, of faith it's, a, it's just paramount. You absolutely have to have faith or you can't please God. You have to have faith even to be saved. Not in a mental you know, agreement with the historical facts around the man, Christ Jesus. Which I know people that, you know, yeah, Orthodox people. Yeah, 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 I believe in Jesus. Yeah, 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 he, I believe he died on a cross. Yeah, I believe he uh, rose again from the dead. He's born of the Virgin Mary. And they're lost as a goose in a horse race. They're on their way to hell. Why? Because they believe here. The Bible talks about believing from your heart. Right. Amen? Right. So saving faith comes from the heart where you truly rely you, uh, 100%. You're trusting what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross of Calvary to pay for your sins so that you don't have to face God with that same sin in judgment. Amen. He took your judgment for you. You either believe that what he did is enough or you don't believe it. Or you're either going to add sacraments, you're going to add something to it. Whether it's your good works, whether it's your church membership or your baptism. But if you try to add anything to the gospel, you're not going to make it. He either saves you or you're not saved. Amen. He's the only one. So the object of your faith, faith, you got to have it. you got to have it to please God. you got to have it to be saved. And of course... The source of faith. You say, well, okay, I, I want faith. I believe you. The Bible says it. I believe it. So how do I get it? Well, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. 
Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How do you get faith? It's right here. It's in this book. You got to get in the book. You got to read the Bible. You need to study the Bible. Meditate on it. Amen. Apply it. We're going to get to the application, but it's about the book. You know, I think one of the most tremendous uh, testimonies I've heard over the years in Ukraine was from a preacher. He was a guy that came up through our Bible Institute. He, became a, he was a blessing for a, a long time. But he got up and he said, you know something? I was a Christian for five years. He said, I had to study the Bible for five years before I even began to even begin to think straight. That's great. That's a great testimony. Because how true that is. Because God does things so different than the way we, we were used to doing things. In every aspect of life. Amen. So, faith. The trial of your faith. You're going to have to have it. It's impossible to please God. The place where you get it is the Word of God. So if you're not spending time in the book, then um, you're not going to have any faith to try. Amen? And, you know, I think that there's an argument. I believe in rightly dividing the word of truth. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Work when you need us not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. I am a dispensationalist. I did my master's degree on uh, a dispensational study of salvation. I mean, that gives a lot of Baptists. That keeps me out of a lot of churches, by the way. Okay? I am a dispensationalist. I believe in rightly dividing the word of God. Looking at God's plan and, uh, for the ages. I believe that. Teach it. Preach it. But I think that there's a practical aspect to that. To you need to know what the Bible says about you where you live. Amen. Rightly dividing means that you also need to know that, yeah, just as, just as true as it is that the verses that are applying to Israel are not yours. Leave them alone. Don't steal them. Amen. Right? Well, there's verses that do apply to you. And you need to live where you live. I had a young lady come to me. Her name was Yana. And uh, she had a hard time, had a rough background. She was being groomed for the circus. <laughs> That's funny. But um, anyway, praise the Lord. She's been through a lot. She has grown tremendously over the years. And she's, her son's now serving in the, in the military, led her to Christ. She was kind of trapped in Russia here. She just got back to Ukraine like last week. But her name was Yana, and boy, her Christian life was like this. And you know, the girls, they just, it, it gets kind of hard for girls, right? Just, it's better to not be married than to marry the wrong guy. Okay? Don't be like Lot's daughters, all right? Thinking they'll give up hope, that there's no hope for me. There's no normal guys out there. That might be true. <laughs> but... God has somebody for you. But the thing is this, is that she came to me, and as a lot of Ukrainian girls that are trying to be Christians, they're just they're slim pickings, you know? And she comes to me asking advice, and I said, well, there's some verses in the Bible that apply to you right now. All right? And then she messed up. She got pregnant. Ended up getting married. And then she wants a divorce. I said, Yana... The verses that used to apply to you no longer apply to you. There's a new set of verses that apply to you now. Amen. Amen. Now, you're either 
You're either going to repeat history and mess up and not have enough faith to trust God in your situation. Amen. <laughs> or you're going to trust God and that he's going to work everything out. And man, she looked at me. I, I said, okay, now the new verses, you know, the one was don't be unequally yoked, amen, with unbelievers. If you're going to get married, only in the Lord, he needs to be saved. Okay, well, this guy's a, a bum. He's a drug addict. He's a mess, needs to get saved. He's very antagonistic against Christians. Okay, now, now what do you do? Well, there's 1 Corinthians chapter 7 now for you, right? <laughs> and we went through there, and she says, she came to me, it was funny, it was, Pastor, I made a mess. I'll do anything you say. Now it's okay, well, let's look at the book. All right, these are the verses now. We're going to rightly divide the Word of God. Now these verses don't no longer apply to you. These verses do. Are you going to trust God or not? And she looked at me after we go through that, and she says, I'm not going to do what you said. I said, we're done. I'm done. I'll see you in five years. You, want, you, you know, if you want something else, maybe my wife will give you the time of day. But you and I, we're done. I, I'm, I'm, I, I like my married life, amen? I hate marriage counseling. Amen. Absolutely despise it. Ukrainians are awful. <laughs> I mean, man. But anyway, that's a different sermon. I want to show you something here. It's an interesting verse. Look at first, uh, Hebrews chapter 10. The point is this, you, you need faith. Faith is going to have to be tried. It's very important that you know how to uh, please God, have faith. You've got to know the Word of God, spend time in it. But notice the time of this trial. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, yeah, Hebrews 10, 32. But call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. All right, he's talking about their conversion. He's talking about that time whenever, you know, you could say that this is like after you got saved. You begin learning the Bible for the first time and everything's new, right? And it's just fresh and it's sweet. And that's when it's like honey. And then later it's going to kind of turn bitter a little bit. It's going to get hard, right? Bittersweet is what it is. But the time of the trial is after you were illuminated. So you're reading the Bible for the first time. I never saw that before. Oh, this is how I'm supposed to relate to my wife. Oh, this is supposed, how I'm supposed to relate to my husband. Oh, this is how I'm supposed to behave in church. Oh, this is how I'm supposed to honor my pastor. The Bible says something about that, by the way, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Honoring your pastor has nothing to do with you feeling fuzzy inside about him. You say, oh, I just you know, love my pastor. Okay, show him. You show it. Amen? You know, they labor in the ministry, labor in word and doctrine. The Bible says they're worthy of what? Double honor. You know what that means? He's worth twice the pay. You double his pay. He didn't bring me up here to say that, and it's probably very uncomfortable for him. Amen. Amen. <laughs> you want to you know, say, well, I love my pastor. Well, okay, well, then show it. He said, double what? Well, I don't know. Find something and double it. Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> That's good preaching, brother. Amen. Amen. Bless God. Bible-believing Christians, we are. We believe the Bible. Well, 
you got to believe the Bible. It's all about value anyway, isn't it? It really does come down to what do you value. You know, you're either going to value God or you're not. You're going to value the things of God or not. You know, Esau had something of value, but he didn't value it. God said, you know, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. He had the, he had the right of the firstborn. It was his. But he despised it. He thought, what good is this? You know what you have? You have the right of the firstborn in Jesus Christ. Amen. You have a right to rule and reign with him in a kingdom that is perfect. It's wonderful. Amen. You got a shot at that. Don't sell it for a bowl of beans. Amen. Amen. It's about value. Amen. Anyway, faith. Faith. The time of the trial is after illumination. Look at Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to have to keep moving on here. Time's getting away from me. Matthew chapter 13. And verse... 18. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receiveth seed by the wayside. And so notice that. The devil's able to somehow, between here and there, between here and here and here, mess around and steal something from you that's very, very valuable. Okay? Something that you absolutely have to have if you're going to have His smile and His blessing on your life. Amen. And so it's after that time of illumination. It's usually after a sermon, after Bible reading. You know, the preacher's just laying it right down there where you live, and you're like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. You're illuminated, and that's when that trial of affliction takes place. What are you going to do? What are you going to do in your marriage, for example? Husbands, the Bible says, be not bitter against them, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, do you value God's blessing? Do you want Him to answer your prayers? Right? Hey, man, that's every bit as much as truth as John 3.16. Okay? All right, what are you going to do about it? You say, well, my wife isn't... Um, she doesn't live up to the scriptures. She doesn't follow me. She doesn't obey me. I'm frustrated with her. I resent her. And you're bitter against her. And you know what that does? It robs you of a blessing. So what are you going to do? The Bible says don't be bitter. Right? And that's where this thing about, I've got a sermon I'm kind of working on called, I'm going to call it um, Ideal, For Real, and Surreal. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Because we got the ideal man that I'm supposed to be, Jesus Christ, right? And then there's me, the for real, the real where I live. And sometimes things just get weird. They just get surreal. You got the ideal marriage, Christ in the church. Amen? Oh, wow, we hold that up, Christ and how he loved the church and gave himself for her. You're right? They sung about it. And here she is in Goo Goo Gaga and presenting herself, you know, white and spotless and all that. And, and she just loves him and he loves her and, and he sanctifies her with his word. And it's like the husband's supposed to sanctify the wife by saying, you know, I love you. You're the only one. I, you're, you're, you're the greatest, right? And she goes, amen. You know, can I get you a cup of coffee? Whatever. 
There it is. You guys are laughing because, you know, this is the ideal, and then this is the for real. Yeah, get it yourself. I'm busy. <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. And then sometimes it just got, gets downright weird. Surreal, you know, marriages in Ukraine. Oh, my goodness. You know, uh, ask the guy. They're having marriage problems. I'm like, okay, well, the Bible says sanctifier. Uh, you know, follow Christ's example, sanctifier. When's the last time you told your wife that uh, you love her? And he goes, uh. <laughs> I was just like, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got problems in your home. But anyway, believing the word of God, applying the word of God where you live. And when you get that illumination, you can expect that fight. You get that illumination in your finances. This is the way God says to do it. When it comes time to write that check for the tithe, right? Your faith is getting tried. The time whenever your husband says, hey, we're going to do this. You know, women resent the authority of men. They resent it. I'm sorry. I didn't ask for this job. Amen? And sometimes the other side looks sometimes kind of greener. I got to answer to him. Right? I got to conduct myself and, you know, the Bible says, talks about being heirs of life. You husbands, do you believe that? Do you try to make it to where your wife is going to get rewards of the judgment seat of Christ? You know, you ever think about that? That's what you should be doing if you love your wife. Right? You make it to where she gets something lasting. Right? Amen. Anyway. Now, the form of the trial. The form of the trial is back in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6. And it says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold, what? Temptations, And so those temptations, they come into our lives in the many, many different forms. And I, I don't have time. I'm running out of time. But the trial that is to try your faith, it begins with temptations. Are you going to trust God? You're going to obey God? You're going to adjust your life to live the Word of God and apply the Word of God to get His smile on your life and His approval and His fellowship, if you value it or not. It comes in the form of temptations. And it also comes in the form of, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. One of the greatest battlefields that this world has ever known is Mount Calvary, and it's called the place of a skull. The battle's here. The battle is right here. You're going to read this book. Are you going to believe it? But are you not going to just make a mental agreement? Yes, I believe what it says, but you believe it to the extent that you apply it and say, okay, the world says to raise kids this way. The Bible says to raise them that way. I'm going with God. The world says you take your finances and handle them this way. I'm going to go with God. Bible, you know, the world says, the philosophers, what's that guy? Uh, Descartes. Descartes. I think, therefore I am. What a dumb thing. That guy was actually trying to prove the existence of God. Do you know that? 
He thought he was going to do God a favor by this scorched earth approach. Let's just doubt everything. All he did was bring about rationalism where you doubt everything and accept nothing and get everything down to where it's just you and some blackness to where you just get down to where it's just you and your thoughts. I think, therefore, I am. And he said, therefore, there must be a God. How stupid is that? <laughs> Philosophy, know thyself. You know, Socrates, know thyself. That's what the world says, know thyself. And then they say, express thyself, right? <laughs> be thyself. Just do it. Aleister Crowley, do what thou wilt. That's Jay-Z, that's the Beatles, that's Led Zeppelin. That's Ozzy Osbourne, Black Sabbath, Amen. Amen. Rolling Stones. That's, that's their, their guy, Aleister Crowley, do what thou wilt. Just do your thing. That's what they said in the 60s, just do your thing. Nowadays, you're watching Dora the Explorer or whatever, uh, or Blue's Clues, you can do anything that you want to do. Just do your thing. It is everywhere. This philosophy, existentialism, brought about, you know, the music of the 60s and the 70s, and then the, and it just kind of got weird. Why? Because everybody's just wanting to express themselves and just be themselves. Jesus Christ said, deny yourself. Please don't be yourself. That's the worst advice anybody could give you. Why? Because you're, you got two natures. Right? Amen. And there's a really stinky side. <laughs> Please don't express that. <laughs> Amen. Oh, thoughts. So anyway, Jesus Christ said, deny yourself. He that is first will be last, who the last will be first. The greatest shall be the servant of all. And so anyway, I just want to get back to our, our text here, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm running out of time, and uh, wrap this thing up. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. The value of this trial. I really appreciate that sweet spirit that those ladies had this morning. It was real sweet. It was a blessing. It spoke of our loving, caring, kind Savior who really does want a relationship with us. Amen. He loves us. And uh, you look at this, this universe, you look at the planets, you look at the, and he made the stars also, period. And you look at all that, you look at the complexities of the, the human eye and the hand and the ear, you look at the animals and nature and the ecosystem, the things that we can see, the things that we can't see. Day by day, God looked at all of that in the galaxies and everything else. And he said, just merely, it's good. It's just good. It's good. But when he looks down at one of his children... And he looks at you living your daily life, grinding it out. Amen. Reading the book and says, this is the way I'm supposed to raise my kids. And man, I just, I don't feel like it. I don't want to spank them right now. I'd rather just pawn them off on somebody else to teach them. 
or this is the way I'm supposed to treat my wife, and you're grinding it out, or my husband. Well, he certainly isn't like Christ. Whenever he's like Christ, I'll obey him. (laughs) We get that a lot. You know, his kids obeying their parents. He sees you in the workplace. He sees you write that check for that tithe. He sees you get up, and man, you really don't, in your flesh, feel like coming to church. And he sees that moment whenever you're conflicted and your faith is being tried and you're saying, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do this. I don't understand it. I don't feel like it. I'm going to do it for you. And God looks down and says, that's precious. That's precious. Your faith is precious. You following and obeying Jesus Christ here and in your lives, in his eyes, is precious. You know, he says that whenever he comes back in Luke 18, will he find any faith on the earth? This is a very, very important, I think, message for our age in which we live. Look at Revelation chapter 3. You know, it's that attitude that, you know what, Lord, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to stop this for you. I'm going to start this for you. I'm going to give this up for you. I'm going to do it for you, Lord. I think it will be pleasing to you. He looks down and he says, that's precious. And getting his approval should be enough. So, the results of this trial of our faith, he says, though it be tried with uh, uh, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. It's more precious than gold. So we have that gold that takes us to the judgment seat of Christ. Gold, silver, precious stones. Amen. But look at uh, Revelation chapter 3. The exhortation to the church of the Laodiceans. And he says this in verse 12, Revelation 3, Revelation 3, 12, um, sorry, 3, um, 18, or 14, 3, 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, and thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable, poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. I remember beginning to understand the book of Revelation, read the commentary, Dr. Ruppin's commentary. And... uh, I got to that point, understanding that we're in the Laodicean church period, that bothered me. I'm like, Lord, I don't want to be, I don't want to be the typical Laodicean. Amen. Amen? But I don't understand what you mean by you're counseling me to buy of you gold tried in the fire. How does that work? I had to pray about that for five years until I really made the connection with 1 Peter chapter 1. It's the trial of our faith. That is what's precious in his eyes. And if you will go through this age in which we live, truly valuing him, his smile, and his blessings, adjusting your life to be in line with the Word of God and in every aspect of how you deal with your time, your energy, what you eat. He says, in, in, in meat or drink, do all to the glory of God. I mean... 
I just made that connection not too long ago. That kind of brought me under conviction. I'm preaching it myself. But it's gold. You're laying up gold. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. It's a very precious thing to have faith in these days. And uh, your faith is going to be tried. It's tried every day. Are you going to live the book? Are you going to value the book? Are you going to value his blessings or not? Are you going to apply the book in your life? And when it's not so convenient, it should be enough to know that uh, he values it. He looks down and he says, that's my son. That's my child. They're taking it on the chin. It's not easy nowadays to be a Christian. It's not going to get any easier. But hopefully that little change in attitude, Lord, just knowing that he looks down and he values it when nobody else sees, that should be enough for you Amen. to have a happy heart, joyful heart, knowing that you've got the smile of God on your life and it's all going to be okay in the end. He's going to make it okay. Pastor, if you'd come. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to me.